Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Thanks for joining us today as we open up God's Word and see what it is He has for us. We are continuing a study on the Gospel according to Matthew, and we are in chapter 9, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 38. In earlier episodes, uh, we talked about how Matthew 8 to 9 is divided up into three cycles of miracle stories, and here we're in cycle number three. So the title of this session is The Healer and the Healed, Part 3. It's not exactly exclusive, Uh, to the other ones. In other words, as we look for a theme that unites these three miracle stories, there'll be some overlap with what we've heard already. But this set of miracle stories will really emphasize the great power of Jesus, the great faith of the people that are healed, but it's all going towards um, this uh, statement, this concluding statement about the Pharisees who, in contrast to the great power of Jesus and the great faith of the disciples, reject him and say he can only do these things by the power of Satan. So uh, that's kind of the overview of where we're going in this section. Keep your eye out for it as we start reading in verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus arose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David! when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man, who was mute, was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
As I said earlier, one of the key ideas of this set of three stories, again, is going to be the great power of Jesus, so that's not particularly new, as well as the great faith um, of the people who are healed. Now, Matthew has a very interesting version of uh, the Jairus account. It's also recorded in Mark and Luke. But one of the interesting differences is that Mark and Luke both say that when Jairus comes to Jesus, he says to him, Lord, my daughter is dying. But Matthew has something very different. He says, my daughter has just died. Now, this illustrates the kind of flexibility that an ancient writer had in how he could just retell the story in his own words. Uh, There is no real contradiction here, uh, so there's no danger in inerrancy as long as we are thinking carefully about the ancient genre of um, what a biography was. Um, We don't need to press the details too much. At the end of the day, Jesus still does heal uh, Jairus' daughter. Some people, because of concerns to harmonize things, have suggested maybe there were two Jairuses who both had a daughter who died and both were interrupted with a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. We don't need to go to length like that. We can just say that storytellers had a certain flexibility that was afforded to them. But the way that Matthew tells the story is that my daughter has just died. Think about the way that that portrays this Jairus character. Think about the incredible faith that this man already has when he approaches Jesus. He's expecting Jesus to do a resurrection. This only highlights his incredible faith. He doesn't, Matthew doesn't include the uh, don't be afraid, only believe, but instead showcases the great faith uh, of this ruler. Similarly, the woman who comes and touches Jesus has uh, a great faith. She believes that all she has to do is touch him and she will be made well. Now, we've seen something similar with uh, Jesus touching the leper and instantly he was cleansed and his disease went away. This woman also would have been considered impure. And yet, instead of the expected direction of impurity traveling from the unclean and contaminating the clean, we have the surprising reverse of Jesus' cleanness just kind of exuding from him. But lest we get the idea that Jesus' clothes were some sort of conduit for cosmic energy, which just provided cleansing, he turns and says to the woman, your faith has saved you or made you well. The Greek is uh, more literally saved you. But notice also there's this compassionate tone of the Lord Jesus as he addresses this woman. He says to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Now, this is significant in relationship to what we're learning about Jairus. He, of course, has a daughter that he deeply loves. Uh, And this woman, the way the story reads, could have been seen as just like a nuisance, like uh, like she's distracting Jesus from the more important mission of resurrecting Jairus' daughter. But this woman, although she would have been something of an outcast from society as perpetually unclean, to Jesus, she also is a daughter who deserves his attention and compassion. Now, both of these stories, which highlight Jesus' incredible power and also the people's incredible faith, whether the woman or Jairus, um, they end with uh, this word spreading out 
It's a, they're both public ordeals. Jesus wants to bring the woman into the light so that way people know exactly what has just happened. And in contrast to the way that other gospel writers tell the story, um, the, the news spreads abroad. There is no prohibition to tell people what is going on. And this will only emphasize how the fame of Jesus is spreading, and it'll just make the Pharisees all the more culpable when we get to them later on. The second miracle story is the healing of uh, two blind men. Um, This story is very similar to something that we read in chapter 20. Some people think that these are two separate events. Some people think that this is the same story that Matthew has just uh, repeated. Again, there's a lot of flexibility that we should afford the original authors, and it's difficult to make a firm decision here. But this account, um, again, puts into the spotlight the faith of those who were healed. He specifically asks them, do you believe that I am able to do this? Now, let me pause at this juncture and just say, this shows what Matthew, what Jesus means by the word faith or believe. It is, are you convinced that I can actually do the things which I claim that I can do? Uh, Sometimes the word faith has more ideas of loyalty or faithfulness. And of course, Matthew wants us to be loyal and faithful. But when it comes to uh, the concept of faith and having great faith, it is about being confident that Jesus can do actually what he has promised. Now, these people have incredible faith, not only because they believe Jesus can do this, but also because they address him as the son of David. Now, keep your finger on where we are in salvation history. Jesus has not been going around proclaiming who he is uh, very clearly to the public. But yet they can kind of connect all of the dots and, and, and make the conclusion that Jesus really is the Messiah. I think that's how we need to read this title, The Son of David. After all, in the introduction, we're told the book of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. And later, the Pharisees will say uh, in the controversies, the Messiah is the son of David. So these people have such great faith that they're able to connect the dots and see that Jesus actually is the Messiah. Now, all of this, as I've been saying, uh, is to serve as a foil, as a contrast to the religious leaders who don't have this faith. Now, there's an important distinction here. We've seen in an earlier story that the disciples kind of panic and freak out when they're in the boat with Jesus, and they, they're afraid that they might die. Jesus there calls them, oh, you of little faith. Now, the disciples aren't heroes in that story by any stretch of the imagination, but they are clearly in a class apart from the Pharisees, who are rejectors of Jesus, who have no faith at all. The message couldn't be clearer. Matthew is saying that the religious leaders, that the Pharisees are morally and spiritually bankrupt. And that explains why we read things like this uh, in, in verse 36. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The Pharisees would have kind of liked to have seen themselves as the shepherd of the sheep of Israel. But Jesus is saying there really isn't anybody to take care of them. And instead, the the supposed shepherds only harass them and they are persecuted. I mean, think about the audacity of these leaders who see others being healed and helped and instead could only look on from the sidelines and say, 
I call it the work of Satan. These are clearly not compassionate shepherds. Now, 936 is uh, evoking several important Old Testament passages. Uh, One of them is Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6. Let me read that for you. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness." This is a famous messianic passage in the Old Testament, predicting the coming of the Messiah, the branch, who will take over the corrupt, defunct religious leadership of of Israel. But that passage also talks about how God will raise up shepherds in the plural. We can just kind of keep our finger on that and also read from another passage in the Old Testament, which pulls uh, from Jeremiah 23 as well. Uh, I'm thinking of Ezekiel 34, 23 to 24, which reads, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken." So this passage is calling to mind important messianic passages. Jesus is the son of David who will care for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He he will care for them and shepherd them because they have not been properly cared for. And yet he doesn't work alone. He has other shepherds that he is calling to to help him in this important task. And this sets us up for 10.6, where Jesus sends out his disciples to go and search for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It is a privilege to be Jesus' disciple, to work alongside of him, shepherding the people who have been abused by others by genuinely caring for them, just as Jesus would. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.